you cannot imagine the number of debates that I go in Portugal that start with this question. Do you think Portugal is racist? And how do you answer? Why are you always asking the same question? This means you don't want to acknowledge. You always want to be in the door looking, oh, what's going on? Are we racist? Are we not? But never engaging with what we need to do is to repair what happened. That's Christina Roldau, a Black Portuguese sociologist and activist. She's hearing that question often these days as an anti-racist movement grows in the heart of the first global empire. At the beginning of the Renaissance, the Portuguese set out in 50-ton caravels to push back the frontiers of the unknown by their skillful exploration. In the 15th century, Portugal began the European Age of Discovery. In that same century, Portugal also started the transatlantic slave trade. The Portuguese enslaved nearly 6 million Africans, more than any other empire. Now, 500 years later, the country still reflects romantically on its colonial past. And that has consequences for Black activists in Portugal, who say they've struggled to get their country to even acknowledge racism exists. So why does Portugal look back on its history with such fondness? And how does that affect the Black Portuguese activists fighting for their rights today? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. In June, Portugal's anti-racism movement had its biggest protests in recent memory. After the police killing of George Floyd in the United States. But the protest wasn't only about an injustice in Ocean Away. For Black activists in Portugal, it was part of an ongoing fight against police brutality and racism. Of course, it has to do with this connection with the international movement of Black Lives Matter in the United States. But also, it has to do with the struggle of the anti-racist movement in Portugal in the last years. Since 2015, the anti-racist movement that for years was going on on the periphery of Lisbon starts to get more visibility. That visibility began with a high-profile police brutality case when cops beat and illegally detained several young Black men. After a lengthy trial, some officers were convicted in 2019 on charges that included kidnapping. But that's not how the police originally represented things. When it came out, the first thing that appears in the newspaper is a gang tries to invade a police station. And I don't know what people think Black people are, but we are not ninjas. But it's so, so racist that people think, oh, maybe it's true. This is one of the biggest cases we had. There were illegalities, there were documents that were false, there were lies of the agents and all that. But in the bottom end, they couldn't prove that there was a racist motivation. Since then, reports of racist violence have grown. Portugal's Commission Against Discrimination saw a 26% increase in reports of racism last year. Meanwhile, Black activists have kept the pressure on. A month after June's Black Lives Matter march, there was need for another protest. 
Bruno Cande, a Black Portuguese actor, was killed by a white man on a busy Lisbon street. Police say Cande was shot four times in broad daylight. Cande's family say the accused shouted racist slurs and threatened to kill Cande three days earlier. We are here working, paying taxes, and we cannot live in peace? Why are they always killing black people? Why? Even though activists were protesting something closer to home, there were fewer people out in the streets. Christina told us she wasn't surprised. Of course, we would love that there would be 10,000 people protesting in the street for Bruno Candé. And people should relate more with that experience of violence than with some that is uh, very, very far away. But at the same time, it's easier to have solidarity with something that you don't have really the responsibility to do something and to change your life about it. So when it's in Portugal, you always have different ways of escaping the problem and not actually acknowledging, no, this is institutional racism, we have to do something. It's not just the courts. Oftentimes, the media won't acknowledge institutional racism either. Here's what the publisher of Observador, a Portuguese news outlet, told Al Jazeera earlier this year. Racism is something that's part of human nature. However, when it comes to institutional racism, I don't think that exists in Portugal. If anything, I would argue that only the opposite exists. Christina would disagree. You have police brutality, but then you have the courts and the justice system that never recognize when someone is victim of racism. Even with Brun Kande, the man that killed him, was saying racist things. Like, you go to your country, I've been in the colonial war. Yes, you heard that correctly. There are still living veterans of Portugal's colonial war, including Conde's killer. Throughout the 1960s and 70s, as other empires began to give up their formal hold over their territories, Portugal kept up its war on the independence movements in its African colonies. Portugal continues to receive substantial assistance from her allies, which apparently have a deep-seated vested interest in Portugal's prolonging colonial domination over her African territories. Those wars continued until 1974, when Portugal's dictatorship was toppled by a coup. It's 45 years since the, the fall of the dictatorship. It was 13 years of war. I'm 40. The generation of my parents, they lived colonial time. They were raised in that. Portugal's empire extended across the world, from Macau to Goa to Brazil. From the 1970s on, people from the former African colonies like Cape Verde, Angola, and Mozambique moved to Portugal in large numbers. But the end of official colonial authority didn't mean an end to inequality. For the immigrants from the former colonies, life in Portugal is difficult. They've long been pushed to the margins of society. A 2017 UN report found that people from former colonies living in Portugal are among the country's poorest. Colonialism is so alive, and you can see it in different ways. When they say, oh, black people only have bad jobs, they are in the worst positions, but You know, people are not poor because they were born poor. It's because through centuries, Black people could not have property. Black people could not get education. Black people could not maintain their land. 
There is no class struggle without colonial struggle. You don't have these big economic elites in Portugal with banks and with financial power without looking to the history of the colonies. Portugal ranks high among maritime nations. She passes on not only her own products, but also those of her great dependent territories like Angola and Mozambique. If you go to school in Portugal, Cristina says you probably won't hear much about those power imbalances. When you look to the textbooks of history in school, you still see this narrative of the Portuguese as good colonialists. Racism, it's always portrayed as something that happened in the United States with Jim Crow. Those guys were really bad. Or in apartheid in South Africa, those guys were really bad. And the Holocaust. So racism is always connected to these issues and never connected with Portuguese colonialism. Instead, many say Portugal makes its colonialism sound better, different, less segregated. That's how it explained having colonies in Africa well after World War II, as the rest of the continent was decolonizing. Portugal's genuine multiracialism gives her a great advantage over other European powers in Africa. So in that time, they stopped talking about colonies. They call it ultramarine provinces. They start saying, well, you know, Portugal is a multicontinental, multiracial nation, saying that the Portuguese had this good colonization, this friendly colonization, not like the British, not like the French. So benevolent colonialism. So we participated in the slave trade. We enslaved Africans, but we were nicer to them than the other colonial powers. That was something that was normal in their time. Sometimes they say like, oh, Portugal was one of the biggest empire making the slave trade. Portugal was, was not one of the biggest. Portugal was the biggest. So these little ways of, of telling the history, hiding some parts, romanticizing others, really makes it difficult for us to have anti-racist policies. It's not just romanticizing the past that makes it difficult. Another issue is the lack of numbers. Like many other countries in Europe, Portugal doesn't officially collect any ethno-racial data on its residents. You were part of a working group to figure out how the Portuguese census could collect data on race and ethnicity. What was that experience like? We had struggled for many years for that to happen. We had international recommendations saying that Portugal could not still go with this colorblindness. So they decided to make this work group to see how could we make the question in the census. We had big discussions because one part of the group really didn't want that the census would collect this kind of data. They always said racism is really important, but don't put it in the census because this is a very polemic question. You're actually reinforcing racism. So the government decided against it. There won't be a question about racial background on Portugal's 2021 census. They did suggest doing a separate survey, but Christina says that's not enough. We need to have a picture of ethno-racial inequalities. But most of all, what we need is recognition. And making that question in the census defines what is important, what we are, what should be the social policies for the future. For us, a small study doesn't solve the problem of recognition. 
The other problem is that a lot of institutions are collecting ethno-racial data, but this should be standardized. What categories do you use? You use race? You use ethno-racial origin? Ancestry? We need to do a public discussion about how do we call this. How do you identify? Uh, black Portuguese. So you might think that's an easy question to answer. But it's not so straightforward. And Christina says the divide is generational. My parents, they, they were raised in colonial time. And they came from Cap Verde to Portugal. Of course, they know what is racism, but they don't experience it in the same way as I do. I, I'm not saying that it's less violent, more violent. I'm saying that it's different. My mother, when they say a very common racist thing to say in Portugal is, oh, go back to your, to your country. Common around the world, I will say. Yes, yes. What she would feel is like, oh, this person's being racist with me. Yes, I have a country. I'm from Cap Verde, but I'll stay here. For us that were raised here, I think you have an issue with national identity. I think that for my parents, it's not really the same. They lived racism, blunt racism, colonial racism in its most brutal way. This generation that was born here doesn't live with that kind of racism, but has this, this issue of national identity, belonging. I'm not saying that, oh, we have this confusion. I don't know where I am from. What I'm saying is that power relations puts you in that place of non-belonging. But as Portugal's anti-racist movement grows, that might be changing. You know, in Portugal, we have this long history of colorblindness. So everyone was taught not to talk about it. And then you grow up and you, you start to get a lexicon and a way to talk about what you're experiencing. You can give space to that experience with other people that know exactly what you're talking about. And that's big for young Black people in Portugal, like Elena Vicente. My name is Elena. I am 27 years old. I live in Portugal, in Lisbon. I was originally born in Angola, in Luanda, in the capital, but now I've been living here since 2002. Elena started getting involved in anti-racist organizing while working on her master's thesis about Black visibility on Portuguese television. Christina was her advisor. I've been blind for this subject until 2017 or something like that. And now I can see there is something that is systematic and it doesn't bother only me. It does not affect only me and my family. You see, here in Portugal, the thing that separates us is not like you are born in Cape Verde or you were born in Angola as you are Black, you are not white. Like Christina... She says she sees things differently than generations before her. When I'm talking to my parents, for them, because they came here as adults, maybe they have a different perspective. But for me, it's like I am here, I have my rights, and I want public policies to show that me, as a Black woman, have the right to live here, have the right to see myself represented in the television, for example. And for them, it's like, yeah, they are here, but they have their hearts in Angola or in Santo Tomé. And for me, I have my heart here because this is only the reality that I know. And my sisters is their reality too. 
Right now, Elena is seeing more of that visibility on a pretty high-profile stage. Three women of African descent, Beatriz Gomez-Diaz, Romualda Fernandez, and Joacin Catar Morera, made history, becoming the first black women elected to parliament in Portugal. They come from different parties, but they shared a commitment to combating racism in Portuguese society. Elena told us that these three black women elected last year give her hope. Before, they were activists. They were already in the streets. They were already talking to other Black people outside of the parliament. They had a life of fighting for our rights previously. I believe more in them because of that. And this is something that, for me, it makes me trust them more. Andre Ventura was also elected to parliament last year. He's a former football commentator and the leader of the far-right Chega party. Chega means enough in Portuguese. It's the first far-right party to get a seat in parliament since the fall of the dictatorship in 1974. Having Andre Ventura in the parliament, having Chega in the parliament, it is something that threatens the democracy for me. He's a threat for someone like me. I am a woman and I am a Black person. And he's a threat to that. For example, we had the Black Lives Matter protest in June. And days after, we had Andre Ventura and Chega having a protest against anti-racism in Portugal. We, as activists, as people, they are fighting for the welfare of the majority of the population. We are getting stronger, but also the other side is getting stronger. We are getting more visibility, but also the other side is getting it too. Earlier this year, the far-right Andre Ventura posted on Facebook that Joacin Qatar Moreira, one of the three newly elected Black members of parliament, should be, quote, sent back to her country of origin, unquote. The common citizens are reflecting, are acting like the parliament is acting. Andre Ventura saying, go back to your homeland, is legitimizing regular common citizens saying, go back to your homeland. You are not from here. And that is only because the color of my skin is different. Remember, this is what Bruno Cande's killer, the veteran of the colonial war, said too. Elena says this attitude is what Portugal's anti-racist movement is fighting back against. They do not see us as people. They do not see us as equal. Because they had this power back then, 50 years ago, they will not destroy this image because they see themselves as heroes. They went to the war to fight from their empire. It's a reflection of the colonialism that we live. They still see us as an ex-colony or maybe a colony of someone that does not belong here. And this is the problem that we are fighting here in Portugal, to see that Black people are part of this society. (laughs) We are part of this society and we are demanding equal rights. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Ney Alvarez, Oni Wohacha, Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer, and Graylin Bashir is head of audio. 
Special thanks to Anna Naomi D'Souza. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>